Welcome to Engaging ESG, the new podcast that considers what it takes to get ESG comms right and how it can go oh so wrong. From fears of greenwashing and systemic bias to the backlash against woke investing, the risk of getting ESG wrong can be high, but so can ignoring the concerns of employees, consumers, and our planet. I'm Jennifer Owens, former external content strategy lead for Meta Sustainability. And I'm Katie Callens, former head of sustainability engagement at Meta. In this 10-part series, we'll delve into the complexities of ESG communications by tackling your toughest inquiries. We'll explore the pitfalls and opportunities and share practical answers you and your team can use today as you navigate the evolving landscape of environmental, social, and governance topics. Let's get started. Welcome to episode six of Engaging ESG. Today, we're recording and focusing on investor engagement, another key stakeholder when building out your ESG comms strategy. So if you're joining us for the first time, please check out our earlier episodes and you know help us grow by sharing our show with one of your favorite ESG professionals. Definitely. And so, hi, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking primarily about corporate ESG comms. So when we say that, we mean, you know, sharing your company's narrative and story about your ESG work and goals. But before we dive into the specifics, we wanted to make sure that we highlighted some kind of relevant current events around the pressures coming from companies in certain parts of the U.S. Specifically, we're seeing legislation in Florida and Texas around what opponents call woke capitalism. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, woke capitalism. Capitalism comes with its own quote marks. Oh, wait. (laughs) Right? Even if it's like it calls for air quotes when you say it. (laughs) Completely. And I think just as an aside, you know, when you work in these purpose-driven business spaces, you're always hoping like, hey, we just want folks to recognize the work we're doing, get visibility, you know, right. really get more attention. And now <laughs> this work is getting so much attention. It's yeah. kind of like, be careful what you wish for. We're too successful. <laughs> <laughs> too successful. Exactly. And so also one thing at the top we wanted to clarify this morning, because it is a little bit confusing, I think, even for folks of us deep in this work is this pushback is focused on ESG investing, which is different than corporate ESG. And just to clarify a little bit, when we're talking about corporate ESG, that is kind of the strategic approach that companies are taking to bringing in priority issues around environmental, social, and governance topics. But ESG investment priorities and strategies taken by investment firms that take into account the environmental, social, and governance issues when deciding what companies to invest in. So they both involve ESG. A lot of what we've been talking about thus far has been from the internal corporate strategy focus. And this is a little bit more of how investors and investing groups are thinking about the ESG criteria of those companies. And in particular, the most visible pushback that we're seeing around ESG investing is happening against asset managers in control of really large funds like state pensions. Right. And so last month, the asset manager that kind of ESG had been around as an acronym, but he really put the use and made it really popular because he does what is it an annual letter 
that he does. And he said in a recent interview that he has stopped using the term to describe his investing because it's become too politicized. Yes. Yes. Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, which is the world's largest asset management firm. It's a large one and the world's largest, Mm. (laughs) recently said in spring 2023 at the Aspen Ideas Festival that he is ashamed, quote, ashamed of being part of this conversation, which everyone was like, what? Ashamed? You've been talking about ESG and kind of this thoughtful investment strategy for years. And it's really a lot of people point to his letters as part of the timeline of kind of igniting this movement within the business community. And pretty quickly, he he recanted and said, you know, not that he's ashamed, adding that he does believe in conscious capitalism. Mm. But I think the statement really goes so far as to say, like, what has the word ESG become? And, you know, the fact that at the beginning of this episode, we have to clarify how the term ESG is being used in what many would consider two completely different functions, how a corporate strategy is run and how investors think about investing based on company criteria. You would think there would be another term, but ESG is getting used for both. And therefore, we get this legislation and communication around ESG and both groups of work get wrapped in, yeah. unfortunately. Well, you know, my in my in a previous life, I ran an initiative called the Best Companies, and we would assess companies on how they dealt with their workforces. And I could report, having done that for almost a decade, that companies are always watching each other. And you know, so we were trying to do it as a basically a contest that how much better can you do than your peers to treat your workplaces respectfully and give the benefits and policies that people wanted. And it also works in the reverse. When a company pulls back on something or something like saying ashamed, that other companies take note. Another, in his case, I'm sure other asset managers take note. So I think he realized how far he had stepped out because he immediately tried to kind of backpedal a little bit. What do you think of what he's saying? What do you think of that frame? And and also him trying to reframe it in his conscientious capitalism. Yeah, as you noted, I think people really look to him as a leader yeah. in this space. And if he says that he's backtracking away from the space, it's important to clarify, is it the terminology? Is it the strategic approach to assessing companies on ESG factors? And that's where a lot of the uproar came from. And to your point, I think it's going to immediately have other companies getting even more worried about being public about their ESG commitments, which is something that they're getting pushback on in legislation in the U.S. But I think that that's really short-sighted. Well, and then it's not just, you know, Larry Fink. We're seeing these pressures in other corners. I saw this story that Reuters said last month that the UN-backed Net Zero Insurance Alliance I know it's sexy and we've been all following it very closely. It formed in 2019 to try to get insurers to commit to reducing greenhouse gas emissions in their underwriting portfolios and trying to get them to a net zero level by 2050. And that alliance has lost 12 of its 28 members after state's attorneys general from 23 Republican U.S. states sent a letter to the group seeking information about insurers' membership and threatened legal action over what it called anti-competitive behavior pushing up prices. 
So it's really, it's everywhere. It, you know, like it, it goes into these places where you wouldn't think, what, an alliance of insurance companies? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and if you think about it from like an investment strategy perspective, you know, companies with high performing ESG ratings based on, you know, their strategy often outperform those without. And so it's actually from a fiscal responsibility perspective, pulling funds out of these companies and out of these investment funds is actually doing worse by the citizens whose money is in there. And so not only is it political, but it's actually makes poor financial sense, which I think is Quite frankly, one of the reasons that, yeah, it's weird. And also it's one of the reasons that Larry Fink has been an advocate of it. Like he's just not, you know, a tree hugger. He sees this as like the future that, you know, these companies that are prioritizing ESG are really looking with more long-term revenues rather than kind of the short-termism, this like quarterly profits game, which I think a lot of, you know, business leaders have pointed to really reduces strategic abilities for companies to think thoughtfully about a range of issues. It's the right thing to do, but also it's like, it's where you can actually make a lot of money as an investor. Well, so NPR had an article out of South Carolina where, by the way, I started out as a newspaper reporter. There's a factory in the low country. I was in the upstate, for those of you keeping track. Nucor, which is trying to make steel with the least amount of greenhouse gas pollution. And so it wants to be the the go-to company for low-carbon steel. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, the state lawmakers are talking about a bill that would bar managers of state retirement funds from considering environmental issues when they're making investment decisions. And this was introduced as the state's treasurer said he was pulling $200 million from BlackRock because of the investment firm's consideration of ESG factors. And so it all comes back to Larry Fink no matter what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does bring us back to Larry Fink's comments. But I think for an extra piece of context for the weight of his comments, it's worth reminding us that how far can companies really step back from their ESG commitments, right? A lot of times when they make these big lofty goals, like a net zero 2030, if there's a rough political news cycle or even like a quarterly cycle, you can't really that quickly move things. (laughs) And then as we discussed, you know, there is incoming legislation. So there's a backstop, as some people would say, you know, due to expected updates that are going to be coming from the SEC on reporting Mm -hmm. regulations. And then also global companies have footprints in other countries like the EU that are also going to have ambitious climate laws. And so, these companies are kind of stuck a little bit between a rock and a hard place and doing a quick pivot is not going to behoove them strategically, quite frankly. Right. And thus kind of what we're talking about when it comes to corporate ESG is kind of how ambitious beyond that base, right? And how much do you want to talk up what you're doing? And especially the voluntary goals that you're setting, how public you want to be. Yes, exactly. And, you know, on this note of voluntary comms, we're going to have an episode coming up that talks about deeper concept around green hushing and greenwashing in different uh, later episodes. But, you know, when we think about big voices like Larry Fink saying words like ashamed around the topic of ESG investing, 
it's definitely going to have an impact. It's going to have a ripple effect on how bold companies are going to want to be in their storytelling if it's associated. But also, as we've stated before, you know, you have many other stakeholders to consider. Employees, customers, they want to know where you stand. And if you're not telling your story, they'll make one for you. (laughs) That's, That's for sure. I mean, and if ESG is then weaponized as a term, if that's what we're dealing with right now, then I think it's up to it's up to you and me and all of our comms peers to find better ways to describe our work. And whether it's about curbing emissions or becoming water stewards, cracking down on discrimination in the workplace, doing recruitment, retention, advancement of women and people of color. I mean, I think it's just a wordsmithing challenge. What do you think? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think if you can take these news cycles as an opportunity to socialize and educate your key stakeholders, what you're that's actually a way, doing. Yeah. Yeah, what you're actually doing. A colleague of mine used to say, never let a crisis go to waste. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. Which I love. And so, you know, there are definitely going to be many different companies and executive teams saying, like, whoa, Larry Fink is pulling back. Like, is that, is it time for us to yeah, pull should back? Should we do it too? Right. And, and they this will is, ask this. You know, you, yes. it may seem silly to some if you hear it. No, no. These are the conversations that immediately come to you, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because if Larry Fink says something that other investors are talking about it, and then clearly executives are talking with investors, it's you know a pretty clear game of telephone. But as Jen has been alluding to, there's a real opportunity here to really embrace the challenge that allows us to push the boundaries and find innovative ways to communicate the importance of your company's ESG efforts and continuously shaping the narrative to ensure that the positive work you know that's getting done doesn't get overshadowed by political rhetoric. And I think this really dovetails the bigger picture strategy when we think about ESG and the associated communication strategy which is that this work is a long game. This is not something that you're going to see returns or impactful metrics on over one to two quarters or even one to two years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, while this advent of woke politics is happening and definitely changing the conversation, when we think about what corporate ESG strategy is rooted in, it's long-termism. It's moving beyond, you know, what the market has told companies to think about every three months. And so if you can really demonstrate how you as a company are delivering real value to not only shareholders and customers, but also society at large, aka conscious capitalism, which Larry Fink said he still supports, then that's a way that you can really show the unique value that you're delivering and that, yes, you're paying attention to the waves that are having outside this work, but you yep. have your, your kind of eye on the prize to keep a long-term view of how you can to get there for your major ESG goals. And I can report from having worked in the diversity space for a long time before coming over to the sustainability realm that I found that the best way when we were dealing with very sticky issues about you know what those best companies were doing, we had a whole initiative on best companies for multicultural women. And it is tough. It's very tough because no company is doing enough for women of color. That's just it. But our feeling at the time was that if we didn't talk about some best practices and kind of point to where the future could be, then just to ignore these problems doesn't help either. So, but what really helped also when we would wade into sticky 
issues that certain sides would take ownership of, say like maternity leave. I we you always stick close to the actual issue and what's happening and the work that's being done and the numbers. What homework can you show on in that case how certain initiatives were pushing forward or best practices were having an impact? And you know, I used to always say that I don't care who got it done, just that it got done. I don't care about the politics. I just want the issue to move forward. And I feel the same way in the sustainability space. If some alien race shows up and gives us the answer and then we're able to fix it and solve for climate change, don't care. I just want it solved. That's great. And yes, alien nations, please. Yeah. You heard it here first. Jen is welcoming <laughs> you with open arms. Please, I totally am. Okay, please, yeah. please tell us how to solve climate. Um, I didn't that know that that's where this uh, podcast was going to go. But the oil and gas industry, we get it. Just, just go for it. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I think, Jen, what you're alluding to is a really important point here around values. Yeah. And companies clearly state their values and their objectives on their websites and through a lot of the work they do. And this is a great opportunity to say, what do we stand for as a company yes. and the work that we're trying to do every day? And then once again, we're a broken record, but we'll say it maybe every episode, link that back to your ESG issues, your company narrative, your right. goals, and really show how it's not a new thing that you're working on, but this is really akin to the DNA of your company. Make that link for folks and it'll really help ground you in talking about this work and kind of getting above the fray of, of the latest dust up. You know, because that's exactly right. Because I would say that while you may think, well, I'm just not going to say anything. Like everybody seems to be having a problem with just fill in the blank. Because you know that these cycles, these news cycles of whatever someone stepped into it as a company comes and goes if you're staying true to, you did that homework that our broken record always plays over and over again, and you know what your core values are and what your goals are and your challenges are, and just do the work. Because as Katie's saying, this isn't going to be like, oh, it's solved next week. This is long-termism. And so, so should your narrative. And you should just be saying it over and over and over again. And I think hiding your good values doesn't serve anyone. Because if you, again, we were saying this at the top of the show, if you don't tell your story transparently, factually, others are going to tell it for you. And that's going to be investors and policymakers. This is where I think that you should participate in the forums where your peer companies are. Make connections with the policymakers. Have those conversations to know what the positive impacts and the benefits are of all these initiatives that you're working with, not only to the bottom line, but also just showing the tangible results that, you know, the good feelings your customers have for you, the good feelings that all the stakeholders have. Do the work and keep doing it. Share that story. <laughs> Share that story. Exactly. And I think the other piece about this is active listening. You know, wow. if pushback comes, be open to hearing it out. I think oftentimes you can learn a lot about your stakeholder's perspective or who else they're hearing from and kind of being swayed by if you listen to their concerns and kind of really take the time to address any misconceptions or misinformation about yeah. your ESG strategy through spaces for open and constructive dialogue. 
explaining what you're working towards. Maybe you can't talk about it all in your report right now, but having forums with investors or one-on-one calls really shows that you're working towards improved long-term financial performance, risk mitigation, and resilience within this broader work. And yeah, don't be afraid to have a conversation. I think sometimes you can feel like you have to be an expert in this space and all of the critiques, but you actually are an expert on what your company's doing. And so oftentimes coming to the table with that information and and hearing what what they are hearing and how they're now reinterpreting the work of your company can be a really great opportunity to build bridges and reduce misinformation. And also it's a time to bring in your partners if it's relevant to whatever the pushback that you're getting, because, you know, yes, these guys have their own networks. And so bringing them in to support the work that you're doing, that's why you're making these partnerships is to amplify the story that you're doing. Even as you help them, they help you. And this could be a time that that could be a worthwhile to bring into the mix. Definitely. And I think there's a good piece here around not having things be static, right, Jen? Mm, Yeah, right. And it's, I mean, isn't this always evolving? I mean, if you truly buying into the concept of this being a long-term work, I mean, none of this stuff is going to be fixed overnight, but if we don't work on it, it will never get fixed. You know, if you don't point yourself to get to a direction, you will never get anywhere. So I think that as with all aspects of your ESG comms plan, you got to keep your heart open to the idea that it's going to keep evolving, that you will consistently reevaluate, reassess, refine your approach based on all this feedback. I mean, and some of it, you won't agree with the feedback, but to Katie's point, you need to hear it to know what they're saying. If you don't hear it, you won't know, and you'll just keep doing the wrong thing and you'll, you won't evolve. So There's also emerging best practices. There's changing expectation. If the market changes, you know, especially your investors will have thoughts on where you should be going bottom line. I think the uh, key word here is adapt. Definitely. I think that was a really great overview around investors and engagement with those folks that you might be talking to for ESG Com. So thanks Thanks for joining us. And we will be talking to y'all next episode all about another key ESG stakeholder, your customers. So thanks to everyone for joining us on Engaging ESG and stay tuned for our next conversation. Keep engaging. Thank you for joining us on Engaging ESG. Have a question for us to consider or a strategy you'd like us to cover? Email us today at engagingesg at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Engaging ESG today. It helps us grow, and even better, be sure to share the podcast with your favorite sustainability, diversity, or social impact colleague. And until next time, keep engaging.